Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me podcast, and today I've got a wonderful young lady uh, as my guest, and... um, I didn't realise at first when she made contact and wanted to join us at Haircuts Homeless that I actually knew, I did know a mum that I'd met in years ago and I did know she come from a very prestigious hairdressing family um, and uh, she's made her own way in her own right. Uh, so today uh, I'd love to welcome the wonderful Jordana Cabella. Hello. Hi Stuart, thank you for a lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at intros. You are. It's <laughs> rubbish, but the intros are always quite on point. <laughs> as long as you can open it and close it well, everything yeah, is on <laughs> So, uh, you know, um, as I said, you, you you come from a big sort of dynasty of hairdressing. What what was your first thoughts of uh, going into the industry? Well, I. I always saw my mum and dad as workaholics and and I did really look up to them for that because, um, you know, they helped us out so much with, like, schools and, I don't know, the upbringing was amazing. But I also did miss them a lot because they weren't around and, like, you know, my mum missed a lot of the first words and the first steps and that, that kind of thing. She was flying all over the world. And so it wasn't necessarily glorified um, in our household. So I was never encouraged to to go into hairdressing. Um, But I guess I loved the social aspect of it. But I wasn't one of those people that actually sort of, you know, was born with hairdressing scissors in a, in their hands, like a lot of a lot of people kind of are, you know, and they have, hear those stories about being three years old cutting hair. <laughs> that was not me, and uh, I I was told like go and get you know as as much education as you can. So I went I went to university and I did a law degree, and and I loved it. I really enjoyed studying it, but it was a different story practicing it. So I went and joined the police because um, that was, you know, to do with the law and I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I was with the police for a year. Um, I was doing some some work with them and undercover work as well because I was the world's smallest police officer. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, five, five foot nothing. Um, I had to get my boots specially made. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, so I loved policing. Um, but while I was doing that, it was mainly night shift. So I I was doing that at Ells Court Police Station, and I thought, well, the business is only around the corner, and I want to learn hairdressing because I just always wanted to know if, if I was good at it. So I started learning hairdressing while I was policing and I was doing that in the day and I was spending time in our Kensington salon but also in our Selfridges salon and I loved it it didn't come naturally but I loved the social aspect I loved the feel-good factor like providing a service to people and I saw loads of comparisons between police work and hairdressing which is a bit weird when you when you think about it but there were loads of kind of you know, skills that were transferable across both industries. And I think those skills were just talking to people. And I, and I never looked at the clock, whether I was hairdressing or policing. I never looked at my, at my watch and thought, God, I want to go home now. And so I, I carried on doing both. And then, and, and then it got a bit much. And then I, I left the police and, and, you know, went into full-time hairdressing. And I haven't looked back. I know you haven't looked back, but have you ever wondered what might have happened if you'd have stayed with it? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I, I have had an amazing sergeant um, who's become a chief inspector now, and he's he said to me on like maybe like the third shift when he started to get to know me because you, you get to know people really well when you spend like twelve hours on a night shift with them, and he said to me. I think I think you would I think would be amazing for the for the police force, and I think you would climb your way up the ranks quite quickly, and and I think he was kind of referring to my empathy skills and just just people just being with people because obviously being so small, I had a tendency to calm down a lot of situations. <laughs> people would either laugh or just stop fighting, and so um, he really liked the like the energy that I had with people um and I guess I would have you know when you're good at something you 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 put your all into it don't you so I would have I would have definitely stayed um in the police if I didn't have a secondary passion which then became my primary one um and yeah often now I look back and think maybe I'd be I don't know maybe I'd be a sergeant by now or that was like what eight years ago yeah maybe I maybe I'd be running a team or I don't know but I've, it's always got a soft, soft spot in my heart, really. <laughs> and I do keep in contact with some of my colleagues, my ex-colleagues. Some of the, some of them still come to me for a haircut as well. And they were the first people that let me do the bo- botchiest job of the haircut on their hair, cut all their moles off behind, <laughs> behind, their, behind their ears. But, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Do you ever watch Line of Duty and get, get jealous? <laughs> No, because real life policing is not like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's lots of boredom, I suppose, on a night yeah, shift. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like just talking, just talking to people. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you've said because I've seen that a few times in uh, when it's been a bit volatile in some of the centres I've been to. And um, you put someone like yourself, uh, I, I, the Whitechapel Mission where I go to, is a wonderful place and it's full of a wonderful, like a great happy energy, but occasionally it does go off. And um, straight away, either uh, Sue who runs it or Sonia from the office comes running out and then enough, enough. And because a woman 
not you know, like comes out, it tends to diffuse it compared to yeah. like if I jump in or someone, it would aggravate it, you know. And I, I think yeah. there's a calming influence of. Uh, 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 that's why it's my excuse for letting the women go in and sort the trouble out. That's my excuse. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being on shift once and um, I think they got a complaint through saying, why have you sent me the the smallest, newest police officer um, to, to a scene that was like a domestic violence scene and I was the support officer for someone who was already there. She needed backup. And we got back to the station and we were writing up our notes and, and she, she put on it, put in a complaint. And I felt really, really bad. But then I also thought, you know, like the skills of a police officer is not necessarily about your physical ability as much as you, they put you through a grueling process for it. Um, the skills are just people skills and understanding and empathy and practising like... I don't know, just put yourself in someone else's situation and actually reserving judgment. I know I know people, I know they get a lot of stick and particularly in the last year, but I met some incredible people who um, taught me, you know, how to relate to people and understand people and reserve judgment because no one's guilty unless they're, you know, proven straight away and a lot of the time they're not. But also people do people do make bad choices or people fall into bad, you know, scenarios and it's not necessarily always a choice. And, you know, I think, I think that's so important to remember and something I really saw in the police, um, my police duties, because you meet them at the station and by the time someone's calmed down or, you know, sobered up, they're actually great people. <laughs> like they're just, they may have made a bad decision or fallen into bad circumstances. So I think it's really important to remember that. Um, and practice like your empathy levels as far as you, as far as you can. Uh, it, it did show through when you um, you recently volunteered with us for the first time, and straight away you could tell that I didn't know that background about you, but you could you fitted in straight away because you used those skills that you've naturally got. And I think a lot of people have said, you know, in the interesting industry, we've got we're it's underestimated the great people skills we've got as an industry. Yeah. And do you know what? I think I think that's one of the things I really wanted to kind of bottle up and talk about or bottle up and sell <laughs> because it's it's something that's so underspoken about, you know, hairdressing we provide a service for, for great hair and make making people look good, but actually 50% even even more 50 or 60% of the service is like connecting with people and emotionally reading them and being emotionally intelligent and um, making them feel comfortable because you can, you can forget how someone makes you look, but you'll never forget how someone makes you feel. And I saw this when I was learning hairdressing, I saw this in a couple of people at the salon and some of these like some of these people were, Edward Scissorhands, you know those type of hairdressers that are just like, there is no structure to anything they do. It's just all visual and it's like, it's a dance and a, and a, and a performance. But they had clients queuing up out the door. They had, you know, waiting lists for years on end. And I just thought, how are they doing? How, how have they done that? And then when, when I saw that that hairdresser may have left the salon and, and you know, moved on somewhere else, none of those clients would stay. And I wanted to always know 
where that loyalty lies and like how how has he made that client or all those clients feel like no one else can touch their hair because it's a one length cut or it's just the number two on the sides but how has he done that and then the more I looked into it I realized it's something you're not taught in in the hairdressing MVQ stage or not really taught in salon it's something you either pick up and you fine-tune or something that you may already naturally have and so I started to try and fine-tune the, the people skills within me and learn off people who who did have big waiting lists and learn off people who weren't necessarily technical hairdressers but they were so good at like connecting with a client instantaneously and um, appealing to mass market because more often than not people always preach about you know your your vibe attracts your tribe and my kind of clients are, are my kind of personality but we're living in a world where actually you kind of have to appeal to everyone you can't just appeal to one client who's like you and likes talking about you know um an intimate story or like you know what happened on the weekend and how drunk you got you have to appeal to the clients who are also really shy and don't want to speak or the clients who are an introvert and may open up on visit number 12 and so I tried to like become a chameleon in the salon and throughout my the years of, of me hairdressing I feel like I've just learned so much from I'm just watching other hairdressers and how they are and I love going to other salons and just sitting there for the day and like soaking it all in because for me that excites me just as much as a beautiful technical Sassoon haircut. I've I've often because my son's a hairdresser and he he works for Taylor Taylor in London and often when I've met him to go to lunch or something um I've often got there beforehand and I love sitting in the reception and I love you know like and just and you can see you look and you you watch what people's work and it's it's enough to, to be a fly on the wall on the other side of it isn't it yeah yeah definitely and also like I feel it's a quite an intimate thing isn't it cutting someone's hair because I mean especially after lockdown I remember I had a client after lockdown number one <laughs> where she came in and she was like I haven't been touched by anyone for like four months <laughs> and I thought like, oh I didn't realize you lived on your own she's like yeah and I was like well I'm wearing gloves and I've got my my visor and all that and she's like no no it, feel, it feels quite nice <laughs> like to have my head shampooed because I, like, I haven't I've missed the human touch and I was like oh gosh you, you really forget you know how intimate that experience is and I think you know that's why we share so much of our clients and they share so much of us and and I think such a big part of the role um that I started I've I've written a course for Wella actually called the the mindful hairdresser and that's like that's just my take on the emotional side of things and and the connection and the reason why our job could never be taken over by robots or technology or computers because that for me is just it's just so exciting and so underspoken and I think we should shout about what we do and if we can if there's any way of improving um everyday life as a hairdresser um, and improving the client's experience by analyzing how how we do it or fine-tuning how we do it because we already do it a lot of us um then why not because we you know it's something that we we don't we take for granted isn't it I think um it's very interesting what you say because there's a lot of time it's said isn't it that people can um they're a natural 
So, but what you're doing, and I love the I love the title of that course, the Mindful Hairdresser. That's fantastic. And the the fact the fact of uh, coaches in sport, they break down, you know, like a picture, or you know, they'll break down every aspect of of that. You know, they break it right down into the minuscule bits, and that's really like taking. You know, you can't rely on everything being natural. Yeah. Uh, as a teacher, when I've, I've 40 years in hairdressing, and I've, I've come across so many, I've had so many people come and work for me. And they, they going back earlier, you said about the 50-50 thing, and it's true that they'd come along and they'd be a fantastic hairdresser with great flair, but they didn't have that spark with people. Or they maybe mm. be the other way and be a fantastic people person and didn't quite have the practical skills or the interest in the, uh, uh, but when you've got someone who come along and had that piece of both that you could develop, they were the superstars always. Absolutely. And, and I think it's funny how people kind of fit into one or the other, because I was seeing it in my, in my salon when I was learning that it was more like the kind of really eccentric people that were just putting on a bit of a performance. Um, and you were, you were looking at their technical work thinking, Oh my God, like that's painful to watch. But and then you, and then I was seeing like aspiring hairdressers climbing through the ranks putting the hours in, putting the blood, sweat and tears in, so passionate, go on the floor eventually after like three years and they just weren't successful in terms of building up clientele. And it was a shame to see because I was like, they've been taught everything, but actually they've been taught everything technically, just not kind of emotionally or how to connect. And then that was why, because it was just for them, like they were so focused on that technical haircut or technical colour that you forget actually this is about human connection and you need to bond and it's similar to what you do um Stuart with with the homeless how many 40,000 you said you've you've served that's just amazing and as much as 40,000 of them have walked away with a great haircut that lasts let's say two months I think what they've walked away that lasts forever with is a feeling of someone paying them attention and connecting with someone one-on-one regardless of what's going on in the background and having someone you know tell a story or listen to the, some of their background information and treat them like a, like a client mm. I think that's amazing I think that's the important that's, that's what we've str- we strive to do and from an early point was the fact of uh, making it as near to a sound experience as possible and in some of the chaotic environments we work in, it isn't that easy. However, there are aspects you can always do. And I think uh, going back to salon life, I, I, I always maintain that one of the most crucial points uh, of a salon experience is the consultation. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's it's absolutely paramount in, in any salon. And uh, it goes across to us. And it's the, the, the initial... Few set. I've I've been able to connect with someone in seconds, and someone's walked through my salon door, and in seconds I've I, and there's a little click in my head. And I think I've got them, and not in a, not in, not in a controlling way. I just start, I've connect, I've I've connected, and that, that's the same in there. And it's all about the consultation. Yeah, definitely. And my, I remember my mum saying when I was learning at the time, she was like. There's loads and loads and loads of great hairdressers out there, but there's there's not an unlimited amount of excellent hairdressers who have got both that creative eye 
and that like you know emotional um connection kind of it working in synergy perfectly to like to 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 give the best service and so if you don't if you're lacking in one what do we do when we when we're not the best at precision cutting we go on a course but what do you do when you're not the best at like connecting or speaking or I don't know you know making people feel comfortable nothing but I think now we need to like really focus on that and lockdown has, has, has taught us how important clients uh, we are to clients and how how appreciated we are um, and I think if we didn't speak to them and it was just a service of technical skill then we wouldn't have had that kind of reaction to our industry being so missed. Oh, of course. We, it, you know, it was the subject of um, means of, of like the whole, the whole world was talking about missing a hairdresser, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. True. Either that or having too much hair, and yeah. not, not enough bikini body ready. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I, I couldn't believe it that, that, People, and I, yeah, everyone's sort of really upset. I was at home going, yes, they miss us. They finally miss us. <laughs> they finally <laughs> appreciate what we do. Yeah. Like anything in life, it, it soon goes back to normal. We all <laughs> oh, it does. It really does. When lockdown number two came, I was like, back in the game. I've got the power, guys. <laughs> I'm telling you when you're coming. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I'm telling you, you can't be late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you know what? It's that fi- finally, we're like dentists. Because <laughs> I, I even once years ago I had a dentist a dentist wife uh, was always late. <laughs> was she? <laughs> yeah. And in the end, I said, "Look, I'm really sorry. I, I, I don't want to offend you, but I, I'm not. I can't cut your hair anymore because you're always late." <laughs> and it made me laugh. Dentists don't add it, do they? Like, no. I remember turning up ten minutes late for one, and she was just like. Oh, you've missed your appointment. I was like, oh, I thought it was a half an hour appointment. And she's like, yeah, it is. But what can I do in 20 minutes? Yeah. And I was like, I was really taken aback. I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And I remember from that day onwards, I was like, I cannot ever be late for a dentist. Because once they turn you away once, that is it, isn't it? <laughs> Whereas yeah. as hairdressers, we're like, 15 minutes? Fantastic. You come on through for your full set of highlights. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, we're victims of our, you know, we, we all complain that we're not taken seriously. But uh, as an industry, we must start taking ourselves seriously. I see lots of on on different groups about saying, oh, I've got this client and I don't know, you know, I don't know how to say to her that she keeps not turning up. Mm. What you've got to say is don't come back because (laughs) the thing is, is you've got to value your own time. And it's a a big problem in the industry of undercharging, a big problem with even being afraid to charge for missed appointments. You know, like, um, you know, how can you expect other people to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously? Yeah, it's true. And it, it would, I think, you know what, the more we can unite as business owners, hairdressers, self-employed, mobile hairdressers, if we can all kind of unite in some way and just set, like, the very, very minimum level of pricing or the very maximum, whatever it is, and come together and say, right, what should we all make sure that we're charging our clients cancellation fee-wise? Because once we can do that, you kind of strengthen the industry from from the bottom, don't you? Um, but when some people are doing it, some people aren't, some people are doing £10 haircuts, some people aren't, you know, aren't charging cancellation fees, then I think that's that's what kind of makes it a little bit messy because you feel like 
should I, shouldn't I? And I just think it's one of those things where we, we kind of lack confidence in that respect. But I guess I have seen quite a lot of change, actually, from lockdown as well. A lot of clients were, were taking deposits. Sorry, a lot of people on my Instagram were talking about taking deposits and they've never done that before. So I think it's one of those work in progresses. When it kind of becomes a trend, everyone jumps on board, don't they? I think it's crucial. I think people, um, you know, our time is so valuable. And people are people are thieves. They're thieves of time. This is not just clients. This is this, this is human beings. You know, they wouldn't come up and put their hand in your purse and take ten pounds out, but they'll just take that half an hour away from you. You know, mm. and we, we're sort of happy to give it. I learned a long time ago that um, the power of no. You know, and it's a polite no, but the times I would I was people pleasing all the time. So I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'm still guilty of it mm. <laughs> to to a degree. But the, the thing is, is is give yourself time to say, um, uh, oh, I'll have a, yeah, I'll see what I can do, or I work. I, I, let me let me get back to you because then sometimes uh, if if you don't want to become resentful of that, and it's the same thing with us as an industry. It's like you know the person's always late, but we never we moan in the staff room if we don't actually say anything reasonable to them. Yeah, it's true. I think think that's got um, a lot to do with the fact that, you know, hairdressing is about people pleasing, isn't it? So once you fall into the profession, you're a bit like, oh, the client's always right. (laughs) Whether she's turned up late, whether she's hit me, (laughs) you you just take take it all, don't you? And do you know what? I still haven't found my feet um, in being fair but firm at all with clients. I I have as a manager, but I haven't with clients because – I'm just like putty. Like I, I, I need to learn the power of no. <laughs> Actually, yeah. on our last day, it was the busiest day of literally the year. And we did a. Um, actually, I was with you for the first morning part, but we didn't stop till 11 p.m. My 8 p.m. client turned up at 8:35 for a 45-minute appointment. I hope she's not listening to this because I'm about to go in. And um, and she and she got sat through, and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. And then my my manager at the salon said to me, Jordana, you told me to make as much money as we could before we closed the salon. And I was like, okay, thanks for that reminder. So I walked over to the client, and I said, we've got ten minutes left for your appointment. She goes, I know, I stupidly got a taxi here, and blah blah blah. She gave me all the excuses, and I was like do you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And I did it, and I made my, my next client wait, which I felt really, really bad for. But in my head, I was like, do you know what, now she's here, she's got gowns through, she's got a coffee, um, and I did it. But just stressed me out, because then the last three hours, I was running late, and everyone else was left waiting. And I was like, I need to actually grow backbone <laughs> and learn how to say no. <laughs> it's it's true, uh, but you're not alone. I think... I think um, the industry in general is like that. Um, it worried me as well. I mean, look, I'm not a guru. I look, I, I would if I was my own critic, I'd go, well, what do you know? Like you've you you lost your salon two years ago. Actually, I found out this morning. My sister told me it's two years today that we closed the salon, um, which uh, is poof, it's it's flown it's flown by. Yeah. So, but okay. what I have got is is um, uh, a knowledge of what I've done right and what I've done wrong over the years. Um, and I did used to see so many times, as, as things got worse and worse on the high street, 
we, we became a victim of the group on culture as an industry. So we went from being a service with um, uh, loyalty driven clients to we became it became a commodity. So it became as soon as we as soon as we attached to the group on culture, it became a commodity. There was an offer, there was a deal, there was this, that, and the other, and it all just started to decline, you know, and go into this sort of downward spiral. Where in the end, um, if you know anything about anyone who knows about the profitability of business, is that you cannot do an hour long blow dry in a salon for ten quid. You know, no. and I used to see, let, and everyone blames mobiles and all these things, but when you see salons, like high street salons doing blow dries for a tenner and all these things, it, it's the beginning and the end because there's, it's zero profit in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's a shame because they must be in a really bad financial state in order to, to have to offer that. Like that's desperate measures. Um, and it just makes our industry weaker doesn't it but i think i think lockdown has made people you know charge a bit more because the ball was kind of in our court when we came when we yeah. reopened and yeah. you know we could charge what we wanted we were charging four pounds extra just for the ppe screens and people go how much were your screens and i was like oh very expensive <laughs> um, and you know just having a temperature gun and that kind of thing and no one man people might have you know, made a few flying comments, but no one really actually resisted it. And and it's when push comes to shove that you realise actually you do have a lot more power um, than you think when when you're in a professional environment. And if you serve your clients well, at one point they're going to have to you know they're going to have to agree to all the price increases or you know any kind of protocols that you might put in place, and they'll respect you for it. I think that's the ultimate thing is, is always it's value for money at any price. So you can be a very, a very um, high price, high end salon. If you're giving good value, it works out, you know, and people should expect to pay a bit more when, when, you know, for the outlay of PP and things like that. I know as a charity, how much we've had to lay out for, you know, thousands and thousands on, uh, you know, the, all of the PPE and the guns and everything. Um, it, so it does that up. So if you're if you're going along, and, and there's a high high percentage of every salon in this country that is either breaking even or less, mm. and that's a scary thing. Um, I, I I really I think anything like this, there's a there's a shift. So this is sort of cataclysmic event of the um, pandemic means that it's sink or swim time for a lot of people. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be that thing of the high end or the low end. I think if you're stuck in the middle end, that's the danger area. Definitely, really. yeah. I mean, when looking back at some of the measures that the government put in place, I think they were kind of really good for small businesses. But if you had a team of like, let's say, eight or more, you were classed as a medium. So you didn't necessarily get as much support. And it's good that they supported the small businesses, but in London, with business rates, like, oh, my gosh, you know, you, you couldn't really get a lot um, of help, and it was really hard. So I guess I've, I've been swimming, as you said. I've got my armbands on. <laughs> I've got my life jacket on. I've got the rescue team behind Put your me. your dead weights around your ankles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to tread water for the next year. Um, yeah. But, 
but you you just you make it happen, don't you? You find a way. There's no way. I said to my team when we went back into lockdown two last week, there is no way uh, anything is going to stop us from coming through this and being um, a stronger team next year and making more money than we've ever made for. Yes. And they were like, this puts me blankly. <laughs> I was like, we will get through it, but it's just going to be tough for like eight months. And it will be, you can't lie. Um, and we just got to get inventive because there's opportunity in everything we do. Like even even lockdown, there's opportunities for takeaways and, and delivery home, home colour products or connecting with clients or there's opportunity in everything. And I think since, since lockdown it's kind of unleashed this um, fearlessness in me to just try something because I spent four months wondering, Oh, I never did that. I never put cocktails on the menu. I never got an alcohol license. I never, um, I don't know, got a DJ in on a Saturday because I was always worried about what my team might think. There's always one person that's like, what the hell is she doing now? <laughs> or there's yeah. always one point that's like, all the decibels are a bit much for my ears. Do you know what I mean? So I was always worried about what people think. And and since going back into after lockdown, you, you get that desperation of like, okay, I need to keep going with the evolution of this business and I need to like um, upgrade it. And you, you get this fearlessness that's just like, well, have a go because you might not make it anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you kind of feel like go for it because it is sink or swim time and um, anything, anything might help. So, so that's, that's why I've kind of gone for it and just put loads of weird things in place that my team are like, <laughs> what are you doing now? <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's good to just like to sometimes let go of your fears and and go for it and I think lockdowns made kind of a lot of people reprioritize or just try things that they never had the courage to do I think that's a great message it's a great uh, I really love that um you remind me so much uh, this is always bits, oh you remind me of me but like you 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 remind me of me at, at a younger age and and that sort of uh, you know, not give a shit attitude of, of things. And my, I had this lucky balance. You met my sister last week. Yeah, so she lovely. was the counterbalance of me. So I would come in and go, you know, and I used to do this, like, I'd just come in one day and say, when we change the name of the salon, you know, oh, <laughs> when are we doing that then? Tomorrow. <laughs> I've already got, I've got the bloke coming to give us new signs. You know, like, oh, I'm doubling the prices. You know, I went to a Charles Worthington course. This was years and years ago. And because he did coffee on trays and I come back and I didn't gradually increase. And, then, you know, tomorrow <laughs> prices are doubling. <laughs> I was talking to Fenchurch Street Line, you know, like he's gone mad. He's charging <laughs> twice as much. But, you know, like unless you do these things, you can like, always remember things can be undone. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, and do you know what? Like, I think sometimes when you are the talk of the town, and even if it is like negative talk for the first two months, at least people are talking about you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do something, just do it properly. Because I probably, what you said about doubling prices, I'm, I'm really bad with stuff like that. I probably do it really slowly, and then it kind of just annoys people because they slowly start realising, and I probably wouldn't put a notice out I'd just do it and hope for the best but 
sometimes if you just if you're going to do something just do it to your best ability my dad always told me that when my first job was um washing hair at joe <laughs> joe hansford salon and um I was also doing um, bar waitressing at a golf club and I used to always complain about um, being in the kitchen because they used to make me do the worst jobs in the kitchen, like pot washing and stuff like that. And my dad always went, whatever you do in life, whether you're saving someone's life as a doctor or whether you're cleaning a toilet, if you do it to the best of your ability and do it properly, then you've got every reason to be proud about it whether you're getting paid, not getting paid, volunteering, or, you know, whatever kind of level or status it is at, just do it properly. And that's what it stayed for me. I think you said early on, you you mentioned about your th- – actually, you did – you brought something out in me then because you said very at the beginning of this, you said about mum and dad, um, really, you know, sort of workaholic-driven – and you've so it's obvious that they've they've put that onto you that work ethic, um, and I remember like when my son and opened years and years and years and years ago, uh, but it was like we opened. Uh, I think we was nine in the morning till ten at night, and that was unheard of in that area. But it was right near a station, so then then I opened up at seven to get the people going onto the station, and <laughs> you know it got longer and longer. But I did miss. I missed a lot of, I mean, I say I've got five kids, I missed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they look back, you know, they take the mick and they do that. What was that uh, Austin Powers film, you know, and they start saying, Daddy wasn't there. Daddy didn't oh, care. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there is big blanks, and I think that is a price. It's a big price to pay when you're, um, you know, we're, we're, they said we're a nation of shopkeepers, and it, 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 mm-hmm. there's a massive personal investment in building up small businesses. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think the hairdressing industry, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make any enemies from saying this now. Don't worry, <laughs> no one listens to this anyway, it's fine. <laughs> well, no, my number one listener will probably be my mum. <laughs> yeah. One download, well done. No, Beverly. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I don't know if people are going to bite my head off for this, but I do think our industry is quite bad at promoting um, a bit of an unhealthy work ethic in the sense of you kind of you get rewarded and you get more and more jobs the harder you work um, for, for the, like, the lowest rate, for example, if I'm trying to get into the session world. The only way I could do that is to work for free and really bust my ass, and and I'm about to do that now, and I've been doing it for a little bit, and you know even just like securing contracts with, um, I don't know, colour houses or manufacturers. I feel like, I feel like everyone kind of promotes like the long hours and the long like um, struggle and the climb and doing things for free, and I don't know how, I don't know how responsible we are as an industry to make sure that our you know, a younger generation of hairdressers coming through don't get burnt out because I met this amazing lady called Hayley who's part of uh, the Resilient Hairdresser Group and she she suffered from burnout and had a bit of a breakdown and anxiety and mental health problems and so she now runs courses for hairdressers who are, who are on the tipping edge of that and she goes into salons and educates um, about 
how to communicate with each other and support each other as a team and how to avoid burnout because it's physically demanding what we do every day but it's also emotionally draining because you're listening to people's stories and you're more often than not maybe giving advice that's not just hair and and we we forget that actually that takes a toll on its body especially when you've got kids at home and you're working weekends and you're your partner's clocking off at six or seven but you're doing all the late nights and you are missing out and I think we need to maybe review that I don't know how but I'm I'm starting to myself as a business owner review that and see how we can make this work for both business owners and and hairdressers because they deserve to be profit you know as profitable as possible and they deserve to not look back you know when when they're doing doing a podcast and and regret that they've got they've not spent all the time with their kids and don't get me wrong sacrifice is needed for everything for every form of success but the level of sacrifice I sometimes question um, because I, I'd want to be there a little bit more um, for my you know for my kids upbringing um, and I know it hurt my mum loads and I think that's what drove their marriage apart actually because that that was hard to see and that absolutely broke me down and that's one of the reasons why I joined hairdressing because there's there's this tiny little glimmer of hope in the background that if I joined the industry I could get trained by mum and dad separately and then one day they they might work together again and (laughs) (laughs) and call me a romantic but (laughs) but um they're friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it, it's a, it does all come down to balance, doesn't it? And yeah. there was that era of, of, you know, sort of, it was almost like that bragging rights. Yeah, I get up at five, well, I get up at four, and, <laughs> and I, I do this and I do some, you know, and it, it, it's, it's, it's stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. stupidity because... You know, it only is going to end one way. You are going to you are going to miss out on important stuff in your life, and and it, it, I haven't got the answers, but uh, there is proven track records of countries that do it. So there's mm-hmm. some of the Scandinavian countries that have they've, they've gone to like a four day week, and they've seen eventually that productivity has increased because people are more motivated. Um, but fear stops all of that. I mean, my the, my first thought is, oh, people are just going to earn more money for doing less, you know. But it, it, it's trying to break through that fear um, and making sure. But then you would need, t- for that to happen, you would need the strength to charge the right money. And yes. you'd need the discipline to make sure the team did work really hard during those times and then yes. really enjoy that free time. Yeah, and sharing the responsibility of getting clients through the door um, because that shouldn't always fall on the stylist and it shouldn't always fall on the salon owner. It's, it's about collaborating. You know, I think when when two heads are always better than one and when people come together, magic happens. And I love seeing like other industries, how they collaborate. Um, there's so many industries that do it, like GHD do it with their breast cancer campaign with artists, um, for their straighteners, the fashion industry do it, Machino and H&M. But I really want to see the hairdressing industry do like more collaborations across industries and also with other business owners. For example, if I'm an expert in colour and someone's an expert in cutting, we could do like skill swaps or we could share staff. That would be wicked because some staff 
just need to get out don't they like you, you, it yeah. becomes your family and after maybe 20 years of being in the same place you might just want to change but you don't want to make the leap and have your own salon so maybe spend two days a week here and the other three or four somewhere else and I'd love to see a little bit more of that in in the industry so that's one of the things I've kind of want to work towards yeah that's a great idea uh, job you know job swaps and um I, th- I think it, it's it's all about, as you say, the industry coming together. I think it, yeah. it, I, I always bang on. I'm a big fan of the British Beauty Council, everything they're trying to do to make us recognise as an industry. And to, you know, like a lot of the bodies need to come together and work. There's all there's this fear even with that that this body doesn't want to talk to that body. And yeah. uh, I've seen it a lot in charity uh, over the, the the ten years that I've been doing it. Um, uh, well, I've actually been involved about I'm, I'm just coming up to 15 years sober so I've been involved yeah. in charity all that time and I've seen uh, early on when I was in a lot of work with um, sobriety different agencies wouldn't work together <laughs> and then now since the last six years I've been working with homeless people different agencies don't even want to they're almost like protective of their own environment and every now and then you get a catalyst where it brings people together. Uh, yeah. And funny enough, Haircuts Homeless has done that quite well because we I've worked with people that are, are in the slate, like human trafficking. I've worked with domestic violence. I've worked with um, ex-servicemen. And, and we've all gradually linked it together. And, people, and as you say, people coming together is a wonderful thing, but a lot more gets done that way. Yeah, and uh, when when I got in touch with you, I thought I thought I've got I've got to get in touch with Stuart because it takes so much to bring people together from nothing. And although you had an amazing cause behind you, an amazing story, I I just couldn't help but think like that is that you've put in so much blood, sweat, and tears to that in that. To, to bring people together, particularly hairdressers who can be a little bit um, like we're not the best with change, are we? And and we don't really like working outside our environment because you feel quite exposed, don't you? Someone's watching you and they've never watched you cut hair before. Um, and also you just might feel a bit uncomfortable because you've never you know provided a service for the homeless before. But you've managed to do that and reach so many people with ease and with a smile on your face so well done because that, that's not easy and and I tried to, to 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 do something like that with my sister and there were loads of people that that did get involved and, and help out but it was we were met with a lot of like no's and a lot of uh sort of backfires I guess and for whatever reason um it just didn't continue after two years so I congratulate you because it's I think it's the first of its kind in the country and to have the press that you've got as well on such limited budgets and I know there's still so many other manufacturers that could get involved and I'm going to make it my duty to make sure that they do <laughs> thank you <laughs> but um but yeah I think I think it's incredible so well done and I think you you must have a gift of the gab what <laughs> <laughs> oh, <moi? laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I've talked myself out of a few things over the years but um, yeah, I, I was going to say to you because that leads on to the fact, you know, like I don't think we, we mentioned that you came last week. I think it's last week. 
Uh, is it? it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was only last Thursday, wasn't it? I know. <laughs> it was a month already. Um, what, so what was your, what was your, uh, how, how did you feel before you went? Because there's always this expectation of what it's going to be like. And then what was your experience of actually doing it that day? Um, I think it'd been about, it must be about three years since I, I did the cut for care thing that my sister and I set up. And so, yeah, I felt a bit like it was weird not knowing, you know, how many people we were doing and not having met you before um, in, in person. But then as soon as I got there, I was like, it just takes me back to like the rawness of pure hairdressing, doesn't it? Which is just a service and looking at someone in the eye and and you just get you, you just fall in it falls into place and um, one of the things I didn't do is talk about their backgrounds because for whatever reason we didn't get onto that and um, we were just talking about I don't know the number the number of the clipper guard that they wore and, and then um, one guy was talking about his nose hairs and another guy was talking about um, the fact that he's going it was going a little bit bald on the left hand side so we didn't necessarily like exchange stories it was more just like kind of surface level chat, which was equally just as nice because I guess it gives you a momentary um, relief from like that sadness that comes with, you know, thinking, I, I wonder how you've got here and I wonder if I'll see you again. And I wonder if you like my haircut. It kind of takes it away, doesn't it? Because you're just talking about mundane stuff. So that, that was really, really nice, actually, because um, I was probably preparing myself for a bit more of a heavy conversation. Um, and it was nice because it, it reminds you that, like, yeah, it is a client and this is pure hairdressing in its, in its purest form. And you, you saw we you saw that we had a couple of regulars there as well. Uh, I know yeah. Ravi came in right at the end, didn't he? The chief. Yeah, yeah, that was so sweet. Actually, I, I think what you were talking about connecting earlier, like when you can see like some, you can sometimes just see this invisible like connection, can't you? And when you were um, number actually taking you back to when you cut that guy's hair from literally my length, like just below the shoulders, so like a one all over. And even though you're a bit hesitant because he has amazing hair, like amazing white glorious locks, and then you literally chopped it all off, but he looked, he looked like a different man. And, and when he walked out, he just embraced this like completely new character, didn't he? Yeah. I just felt like he had like a different, a different swag about him. And a bit of swag, yeah. Like, he did, yeah. And when you, yeah. when you look, when we left in the car park, he um, he had just still had this big grin on his face. And then when you had that regular as well, and you said that you know you'd seen him for like what seven years was it? Uh, six years, yeah, since we started. Yeah, that that's amazing, and that that's I guess bringing a bit of structural like routine into someone's life, and knowing yeah. that knowing that you know you're you're going to be cutting the hair next or knowing that you'll be the next person to say how are you and and I and I and I just thought that yeah that for those reasons I I I need to get involved as a regular and that's why I got in contact with you yeah oh that's great uh, it, it, you know it was it was really nice to be aboard and and I could tell you you'd done that before because you just sort of it, it you, you you moved into it seamlessly um, and then we had the obligatory coffee after in the <laughs> and it's great isn't it just that little after I love the after club you know the little 
you know, breakdown of it. There's some lovely people went there as well because yeah. um, uh, Joe was a nice, nice girl as well, wasn't she? Yeah, she's really nice, really nice. Yeah, Rachel, their teacher. Now you'll relate to that because you're you're in education, and Rachel is teaching our. I mean, I'd love you to come down one day and and have a day with with us at the jet training and and meet Lee, who's our newest girl, and see what we're trying to do. Because I still think it's a, it's proved to be a lot more difficult than I imagined it would be. But um, I still think that um, educate like um, colleges around the country, you know, um, could all take one person, anyone who's who's previous homeless who's got some background in hairdressing that maybe they started and then lost their opportunity, um, Mm -hmm. that we can then get them as a practical way to get them back on their feet. Yeah, definitely. And I'd be up for that completely. I love teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I'm great at getting people to work for free. I'm I'm a big thing that people should never work for free and I've just realised that I'm the biggest protagonist of that. that I'm forever getting people to give me the... And I I talk about people stealing time and I'm like the big time time thief. I'm going to turn it around on its head though because if you can get something out of it, it's not for free, is it? And I think with all these things that you know we do and the things that we prioritize it does bring us something even if it is volunteering it, it brings you it brings you like I don't know what it is don't know what the word is it brings you a sense of I, don't, I guess it's human connection or joy or it makes you feel good and probably doing more for you than it is for the person whose hair you're cutting do you know what I mean and yeah. I don't know I feel I feel like yeah it bring if it brings you something it's not for free it brings me serenity because mm. um, as a as an you know an alcoholic and a I don't bang on I try not I probably do bang on but I try not to but part of our thing is you know God grant me serenity and serenity just means I just want a balanced life um, I've had a chaotic life and I want it to be nice and balanced now and when I do that work as you saw and you did you come out and 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 it takes away. The chaos disappears and, mm. and you've just got a nice, straightforward, uh, it gives you gratitude. The most important thing in life is gratitude. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the basic the reward of doing it is it's so much more than any other exchange you get in life, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's the, the power of kind of, the power of connecting, I guess, because we, we do get sort of bogged down by you know figures and facts and information and education and everyone's trying to perfect their skills and um you know even make make your highlights quicker or whatever it is but actually you're right it just takes away everything just calms doesn't it like a really really calm lake of water as soon as you do something that actually touches your heart rather than your business mind. Well, uh, it, it's been so lovely talking to you. Um, I th- <laughs> it, it's really weird, isn't it? Because you, you just uh, we've only met each other once. <laughs> I feel like I know you so well. Um, 
And, and I just want to say that your, your mum and dad, they must be very proud because they've created a, a wonderful young woman. And, oh, thank and, you. Um, I'm pleased to know you. And uh, I'm sure that we can do a lot more good together. Um, so thanks for giving me your time today. And um, I will definitely see you very soon. Thank you so much um, for, for all the wonderful things you do as well. And I'm looking forward to the future. <laughs> see you soon. Thank you. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.